Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and I live in Wichita, Kansas. I am a Patreon supporter for Creative Control. I discovered Creative Control some years ago, I think maybe while looking for interviews with Tommy Stinson of The Replacements, and uh, I stumbled across this, this conversation that Vish had with Tommy Stinson that was really insightful. Vish held his own. I think Tommy can be a little bit of a difficult interview at times, and it went really well, and it really uh, got into some areas that I wasn't expecting, and I thought, gosh, I have to listen to more of this guy and his podcast. You know, sometimes I'm not necessarily a fan of the music or musicians that uh, Vish will have on the show, but I always appreciate their creative process a little bit more. And uh, more times than not, though, it does lead me to uh, finding a new musical artist that I'm interested in or to think a little bit differently about maybe some artists whose work I've overlooked. So, Go ahead, and if you've been waiting at all to support Vish and Creative Control, now is probably the best time to do it. I know as a public radio employee here in Kansas, listener-supported broadcasting, whether it's podcasts or radio itself, really isn't a thing of the past. It's actually very much a thing of both the present and the future. So, yay Vish, yay Creative Control. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, Please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Ariel Sherritt and Matthias Kahn are gifted and resilient musicians, songwriters, singers, producers, and artists based on Prince Edward Island. For close to 20 years, Kahn has been tending to the business of being the burning hell as the band's founder, primary lyricist, and only original member. In the past decade, his life partner, Sherritt, 
has become the second most consistent member of The Burning Hell, whose prolific and impressive discography and relentless roadwork have gained them fans all over the world. The band's stellar ninth album is called Garbage Island and was released on June 24, 2022, via You've Changed Records in Canada and BB Island Records outside of Canada. As such, Ariel and Matthias returned to this show, this time to discuss their lives on Prince Edward Island and their dog, the Kevin Costner film Waterworld and its impact on the post-apocalyptic future vibe all over the acceptingly hopeful songs on the conceptual garbage island, the Pacific trash vortex recycling the things that people make, and birds, how music can exist and touring can occur during a pandemic and during climate change, the B-52s and New Wave, upcoming live shows, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 696 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Ariel Sherritt and Matthias Calm of The Burning Hell, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hello, the burning hell. Are you there? What's up, Vish? Nice. Nice to have you both uh, here. Ariel, how are you? I am very well, thank you. Thanks so much for having us on. Oh, it's lovely to have you back uh, on the show. It's been too long. I, I sincerely mean that. It's been far too long, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. First of all, let me apologize. It's been too long. It's my fault. <laughs> it's no one's fault but mine. Uh, where in the world are you, Ariel? Uh, I am in Prince Edward Island in a small hamlet called Fairfield, population four. That's two of us and two neighbors. Really? There's the, is that what the sign says? Population uh, four? It doesn't have a population uh, <laughs> sign. Uh, our property taxes are not paying for that. <laughs> okay, I see. Well, that, wow, that must be... I mean, this day and age, a lot of us have been used to living isolated lives, but f- living among just four people... What if you don't get along with it? Do you get along with the other two people? I know we're we going do. on the record here. Okay, yeah. Good. Yeah, we yeah. do. Yeah, they're, they're a really lovely couple. I think they're in their 80s now, and they've just been farming and fishing for years and kind of self-sufficient, and they're so kind and generous, and we love them. So we're very lucky with our neighbors. <laughs> oh, very nice. That's lovely. And what is your day in PEI looking like beyond our conversation? Is it going to be a good day? Do you have big plans? It is going to it's going to be a great day. It's a little rainy here, which is kind of great for the garden. Um Matthias has been working hard getting that going. And we have some asparagus that we need to eat tonight. And I've been working a little bit for CHMA, so I'm going to do a bit of that work and yeah, it's going to be a great day. That's the uh college radio station in in PEI or in It's in Sackville. Oh, the one in Sack Yeah, right. What am I talking about? It's in Sackville, New yeah. Brunswick. So you're That's doing right. you're doing work from PEI which is a province mm-hmm. for those of uh, those people around the world. PEI <laughs> yes. stands for Prince Edward Island. It is one of Canada's provinces. Uh, nearby is New Brunswick on land, 
and that is how close is uh, New Brunswick to where you are? It's about two and a half hours. We're kind of at the the end of the island, right? Which is take- also on land, right? But- <laughs> right. Sorry. And then <laughs> no, I but, like that. But then you take a there's the bridge or a, a sh- mm-hmm. you take a ship, some sort of boat. Yeah, we would take the bridge if we were going to Sackville. So it's a 15-kilometer bridge. It's it's the longest bridge over water that freezes in the world. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. So, and then Sackville's just kind of half an hour after that. So you work remotely or do you go into Sackville to do your work? I work remotely. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. And mm-hmm. is that going well? It's great. Yeah, yeah. It's, really, it's really fun. I love being involved in radio again. It's I was when I was at university, and so it's nice. It is a bit of a ga- gateway to the world we live in. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, it's nice to uh, get an update and and see you and hear you, uh, Matthias. You're there somewhere. Where in the world are you? I am also in Fairfield, Prince Edward Island. I'm one of the four, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm also enjoying a kind of gentle rain day nice i'm doing a little bit of gardening when when we finish this i'm going to go out and and do some more planting i think because it's a nice soft rain nice to plant in this and uh and that's that's what my day is like that sounds very relaxing now you you both have said a population of four but you have a dog is the dog part of the population is that in the census a human population of four yeah a human population of four and a dog population of one Mm -hmm. just one dog in the whole hamlet in the whole hamlet. <laughs> that is a lonely dog. What do you do? Do the dog uh, you take the dog for walks and it doesn't see other dogs, so you don't have uh, most people when they take their dog for a walk, it's chaos because yeah. there's always other dogs and then the dogs have a weird communication thing where they they don't just say hello, they lose their minds. So That's, your your dog has true. no does your dog is, is She your finds dog, other ways to lose her mind. <laughs> imagine being <laughs> but imagine being part of a species and you're like, Am I the only one of me ever? <laughs> That's true. Like yeah, the dog has no idea that they're part of a team. That's amazing. <laughs> this actually kind of explains a lot about her personality. Yes. I haven't thought about this before. Yeah, because yeah. they socialize and they learn from one another and what's going on in their butts for some reason. I don't know why they're always obsessed with everyone's butt. But I think uh, there's a lot of information there. Yeah. Well, I, I've, I've heard that, <laughs> but I don't. The dogs know something about butts that we don't quite know. And anyway, this dog, your dog, has no idea. Getting no news. He's getting no no, but, no yeah. butt news. <laughs> Sorry, he's getting, getting a little. She doesn't get to check the. This is already mail. taking a weird turn. It's yeah. taking an odd, odd turn, and I'm sorry, but I just I realize you have a lonely dog. And uh, uh, what's the dog's name? We should give the dog a name. Her name's Ruthie. Ruthie. Oh well, I, I've seen Ruthie on uh, Instagram, I think, and uh, other socials. Ruthie seems nice. So that's good. Yeah, you're you're good. having a nice little time. That's good. Well, it's uh, as I say, it's lovely to have you both uh, on the show. Celebrate this wonderful new record uh, that has been playing on a loop in my family home and in the van. Uh, so th- thank you for making Garbage Island. It's great. Uh, I want to begin with uh, Matthias in terms of uh, what's going on with this record. It seems to me to be a concept record. Uh, I was sent some information that suggested set in the not so distant future, but it seems a little more distant to me. Uh, what, what do you want to say about Garbage Island uh, on the whole there, Matthias? It is a concept record. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Kevin Costner film Waterworld. I'm familiar with it. I never saw it. It bombed so hard that I thought uh, I'm going to avoid it. 
Sometimes when something makes the news like that, you're you have morbid curiosity, but I had none. Oh well, you should you should definitely watch it. I think it was unfairly treated by critics, and mm. it did form the kind of kernel of the beginning of this album. So I owe a debt to Kevin Costner because at the same time that I was reading the news about um, Garbage Island, the actual Garbage Island, aka the Pacific Trash Vortex. I was watching Waterworlds and thinking about a future in which maybe we all live on a garbage island. And of course, the real Pacific trash vortex is a swirling, constantly moving mass of microplastics and other marine debris. But I sort of imagine what would happen if that congeals eventually into an actual landmass and that's where the remnants of our civilization end up living. And, and that's kind of what the record is about. I see. Ariel, how did you contribute to these motifs exactly lyrically? Uh, you, you have some remarkable vocals on here uh, that get in my head all the time and some very interesting approaches. But lyrically, did you contribute as well? Conceptually, did you contribute? I did not really contribute lyrically. That is Matthias's wheelhouse. I did, however, co-produce and record the album, and I played multiple instruments on the record, a lot of synthesizers and drums and whatnot. <laughs> Are any of those instruments particularly new for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started playing drums after... Uh, for our 2017 record Revival yeah. Beach so yeah. that's still pretty new for me um, Jake played a lot of the drums too I, I mean uh, it was really like a built kind of record more than we've ever done before um, a lot of kind of adding little parts here and there uh, through through a number of months um, and then yeah I've been playing bass live now uh with the record and so that's been fun yeah i mean i i uh i like to take on new new challenges <laughs> yeah and you seem really great at all of them uh that from what i can tell just so we're clear and i you know we've established this probably in your previous appearances but the burning mm -hmm. hell has taken many forms uh in terms of membership right across the world there are people who can claim that they were once or are in forever the Burning Hell, I think that's fair to say. Matthias, who is currently in the band? Uh, I mean, sorry, all alumni notwithstanding who could pop in at any point, including myself, I should say. Do I count, Matthias? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I count as a, a, a member or alumnus. Uh, uh, sorry, who who took part in this record? And then uh, further to that, who's kind of in the band right now? So this record was mostly written and produced by myself and Ariel and Jake Nichol. And Darren Brown also played a little bit on it. Our friend Judd Haynes in Newfoundland, uh, Kelly McMichael, Mara Pellerin, Ariel's brother, Jesse, and Ariel's dad, Steve. Krista Power and Janina McGilvery. Krista yeah. Power and Janina McGilvery. So a lot of different people added bits. Um, yeah. But it's mostly Ariel and Jake and I, and that is the touring band most of the time. Yeah, and this is, is this the, Ariel, is this the first self-produced record you guys have made? 
It is for the burning hell. So the last yeah. Ariel Sheridan Matthias Com record we did in 2020, we recorded and produced that ourselves. And that was the first time that we had done that. And then so this one was uh, was, you know, we had a little more confidence to to take on a, a bigger kind of burning hell project because uh, the Ariel Sheridan Matthias Com stuff is more folky duets a little bit easier to manage. Um, but Jake is obviously I mean, he's a great producer and engineer and you know he he was amazing and so we were recording in St. John's and Jake was actually stuck on his family farm in Ontario throughout the kind of bulk of the the lockdown periods and so we were recording stuff in St. John's at Jake's usual studio and then sending it to him on the farm where he had like he built a bunch of compressors and set up all this recording gear and an old sheep pen and then eventually kind of built himself a 19 well converted a 1970s camper trailer into a solar powered recording studio which is where the album was mixed um so yeah it was it's the first self-produced burning hell record and it was it was a f- really awesome experience i loved it <laughs> as, as you're talking about the process i actually hear a lot of lyrical allusions to some of the things you're talking about um so matthias i'm just curious did the actual process this is sort of forgive me if this sounds convoluted because normally a band would practice and work on their songs then they would go and record them but as ariel's talking and maybe you can illuminate what i'm getting at so i don't spoil it but if the solar powered studio camper van like there's a solar powered van and on the record i don't know if there's a sheep pen but this notion of discarded and recyclable stuff like that's a motif i think so sorry matthias chronologically did the process itself actually alter your storytelling as a songwriter on this record a hundred percent that's a very astute observation vish oh well thank Um, you i I pride myself on <laughs> Such things. <laughs> no. uh, some a few of the songs were written before the recording process started, but a lot of them were written kind of uh, during the flow of the recording. And there's no question that the process and the technology that we're using influenced the lyrics. And then in some cases, also the lyrics influenced the process. So, for example, on "Bird Queen of Garbage Island," um, we used actual garbage to make a sort of ASMR inspired interlude or breakdown and in another case um, jake used a bunch of old metal garbage that was lying around the farm as percussion and and so on so it was a really it was sort of a back and forth process of mutual influence between lyrics and and process i guess i see but, yeah it, i don't know that i i figured something was up on the record in terms of its temporality but I think it really hit home for like early on. I mean, on the record, I figured something was it wasn't maybe a, meant to reflect uh, this current time, but it also felt like very contemporary. But then by dirty microphones, and again, I don't want to ruin anything for anyone, but I think that's the whole point of this show uh, is to ruin albums. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and and just tell spill the beans so that people are like, oh, I guess my brain is not necessary for processing this work and this art this guy just told me everything so sorry that was just a little disclaimer (laughs) push pause if you want to dig into the record yourself right now and come back to us when you're done but dirty microphones has allusions to things where i'm like i didn't catch it the first time where you say playing south by southwest 56 i think is what you is the line 
And then I, I was like, 56, what does that mean? Like the 56th edition? But then I looked at the lyric sheet and it's got the little, uh, sky comma, the apostrophe beside 56. I'm like, oh, it's, and, and in my brain and our brains, that might mean 1956. And then, you know, I'm just telling you how stupid I am because my brain had to do these gymnastics. Wait, <laughs> South by Southwest didn't exist in 1956. Oh. He must mean 2056. It's in that's the what that future. probably means. That's, that's <laughs> the South it. by Southwest that they're talking about. So that song has this, like you always have, I think, Matthias, this sort of cheery, sardonic thing going on. Ch- cheery and sardonic. I don't know if those are mutually exclusive. It's sardonic, but it has this uplifting, like, oh, whimsical. It's got whimsy is what I'm whimsy. getting at. But then my wife, uh, Michelle, whom you both know, I think, uh, we, I was making breakfast for the kids and that song was playing. She's like, man, it's so sad. This is the saddest <laughs> song of all time. I was like, yeah, it is pretty sad. Uh, Matthias, just so we can give some people some more context. And like I say, ruin the whole album. Tell me more about that micro, uh, that microphone. Tell me more about that song, Dirty Microphones, and maybe what kind of place it sets on the record. Cause it shows up, uh, I have it here. I think it shows up. Yeah. It's the fourth song in. So you've dug into some sort of weird landscape, but but that song for me, I don't, anyway, is that it's not a centerpiece, but is that a key song for you on this record? It is, and this album is loosely chronological. No piece, the first song is intended to reflect the time that we're living in right now, and then by the time we get to Dirty Microphones, we're into an era where a band in the future, maybe I don't know, in the twenty in around 2060 or so is feeling nostalgic for the days when they used to be able to go on tour in a time when things are still very obviously kind of post-apocalyptic according to our current idea of what that might look like. So it's kind of just playing with nostalgia and, and, and a sense of missing music as a, as a way of life. And it, in that way is also very much inspired by the pandemic. Yeah, so you're you're saying that our conception of post-apocalypse life is maybe I don't know if you said this, but it feels more accurate. Like it sort of has always been this mythical thing. Like what would the oh, it'd be like The Road by Cormac McCarthy or something. Yes. But then everything is pointing to that being actually true. Like all the sci-fi writers, the dystopian writers who we are like, oh, yeah, this is like weird, uh, depressing escapism. Uh, it's happening now. Is that kind of your feeling with us? Absolutely. But I also think that we have culturally focused way too much on dystopia. Maybe we're going to end up in a version of the road, but there's also a chance that we might end up in a version looks a little bit more like Station Eleven. Right. Where there's lots of terrible things that happen, lots of things to be upset about, but also we could maybe create a future that includes a little bit of hope. Well, okay. So I'm not sure exactly where we're going, but I absolutely think you're right that a lot of the things that we were warned about by sci-fi authors and, and filmmakers for the last however many decades are now coming coming to pass. I can't tell if it's self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, how is it possible that they could be this prescient? Like, there there must be something to it. I mean, there is science in sci-fi. 
Maybe they did some digging and was like, okay, we live like this for like 50 years. What would it actually mean? And I think that's what's happened. I'm just, I might be giving them too much credit, but it seems odd to me how close it is to what's actually happening right now. Ariel, you guys had the very unfortunate experience actually recently. Like, as I hear this refrain, we used to play music. (laughs) And I don't want to tell me if this is a a HIPAA violation or whatever it's called in the States. (laughs) You had to cancel a tour recently, right? We did, yeah, halfway through our Eastern Canadian tour. Tell the folks at home, (laughs) if you don't mind, why you had to cancel the tour. Right. Well, I mean, like almost every other band on the road in April, we contracted COVID-19. Uh, you may have heard of it and, uh, and obviously just had to cancel half of our tour and head home, uh, which was a drag. Yeah. My friend and yours, Matthias Kamm, who, uh, isn't here right now, and I were exchanging some texts uh, after this. I was just checking in to say, say, you know, how you doing? Mm-hmm. And I got the, the sense, Matthias, forgive me if this is telling tales out of school, but I got the impression that there was a real, uh, resignation that touring life was never going to be the same if it should even occur. Matthias, I don't want to misconstrue what you said. Does that, but does that capture your vibe at the time? I think it captures my vibe. Right. Is that still your vibe? You were in the midst of, I think, the illness at the time. So obviously, I'm sure all of your uh, frustration was compounded by anxiety and morbid stinking thinking. I think it's called stinking thinking. <laughs> so you were probably just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, why would we, why, how can we do this anymore? Like, really l- looking down the road. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't want to misconstrue it, but uh, Matthias, before I go to Ariel on this, but Matthias, is, was that roughly, am I capturing where you were That's at at the time? where my head was at, absolutely. And I think one of the side effects of COVID that doesn't get talked about enough is like just how negative it makes you <laughs> while you have it. Because it sucks, even after three shots and, and everything else, it still sucks. And I was absolutely feeling pretty dark about yeah. the possibility yeah. that touring could be a part of life again. And I'm feeling actually... Still pretty dark about that, but also positive as well. It's kind of forced us to start rethinking what touring could look like. So not so much never happening again, but how can we use this collectively? I'm speaking of all of us. How can we use this as people in the music industry, in arts in general? How can we use this moment to sort of reinvent what arts and entertainment looks like in the context of music? What can we do to touring to change it? That could also maybe address some of the environmental issues yeah. that we're all thinking about right now. And yeah. Ariel, I know, has a lot to. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna suggest we bookmark that because I want to come back to it. But I want to go to Ariel for that stuff. If you want to expand upon it, please do. But I also want to get your sense. You had it too, mm-hmm. and you, I'm sure, were going through this, you know, myriad emotions about not only like I'm sick. What does that mean for me? But like. My whole vocational pursuit is based on putting yeah. myself at, in this, in these circumstances for the rest of my life. Like, can I do this? So can you capture your feelings at the time and, and, and within that, how you're feeling now? Sure. Yeah. So at the time, we definitely were feeling pretty bleak about everything. That was the third tour that we had canceled because of COVID. Uh, it was the first time we got it. But, you know, first we were in Australia when the pandemic was declared and, and that tour got cut short. We had multiple reschedulings. I mean, it's, it's, it's every band's story, but having it happen 
again and then this time getting really sick was really yeah it did feel incredibly bleak for a while and it still does some days I mean it's it is hard to imagine a future because for so long live music was talked about as okay well you know musicians can't make money from recorded music anymore but at least they can tour and so seeing touring becoming such a um a scary thing going into the future i get sick on tour every time no matter what and so so kind of looking at like getting even more sick and the ethical implications of like doing this kind of thing uh traveling around whilst sick um all of that just was like, okay, well, we we just can't do this anymore. During that time, actually, Matthias and I went on my radio show on CHMA and kind of had a talk about this, which I thought was pretty interesting. And Matthias, of course, knows so much about the history of music. And it was interesting to think about the historical dimensions of this, of of touring and and presenting live music, and just how many people, how many different genres have been founded when there wasn't spaces or safe spaces to be presenting your music in. And, And people have been incredibly creative, whether, you know, that's block parties, um, hip hop in the early 80s or like Jamaican sound systems or ravers in the UK in the 80s I mean or you know Riot Girl, whatever like there's just such a, a long history of of really creative responses to unsafe working conditions in music and so I think as we have recovered from COVID we have tried to take inspiration from all of these artists who who have adjusted in various ways and uh and imagine yeah what is our station 11 kind of touring shakespeare troupe of a band going to do at south by southwest 56 or yeah, whatever yeah and i mean again not to ruin anything but like that song refers to the coast of ohio yes so so acknowledging that the climate is changing and the world will change even um i appreciate those thoughts so can we expand upon it? Because I have ideas and notions about what could occur to improve those things. But mm-hmm. based on what Ariel just said, Matthias, do you, have you had – like it sounds like you did have a fruitful conversation. But what do you – if you could, if you could push a button and change uh, the material conditions of touring musicians during this pandemic and beyond, you know, what would you like to see change? I think that Ariel alluded to this already, but the risk that – falls on the shoulders of mostly musicians, but other people in the music industry as well, venue owners, uh, managers, uh, you know, everyone else that depends on this system, that risk needs to be mitigated somehow. And whatever we can do to think about alternative ways of structuring touring life, I'm torn because on the one hand, I really do believe that we need to stop moving around as much. On the other hand, I think that part of what is magical about live music is that you do move around and that you do experience yourself as an artist, you experience different places, and you kind of take other people on that journey with you in some way. So I don't want to lose the privilege of movement, but I think that we need to reimagine what it looks like. So to give you an example of something we've been talking about doing and it sounds a little outlandish, but we've done some outlandish stuff in the past. So it's, it's kind of in our, in our wheelhouse. We've talked about 
a canal boat tour in the UK, which is a place we, we go a lot, where all of our stuff is on the canal boat and we go, you can only go four miles an hour. That's as fast as you can go. And we go four miles an hour down the canals of the UK and we play a show wherever we end up at the end of that day. And the the audience maybe comes from the local area and they come to see us and maybe those shows are small, but we are in that way limiting our movement and also limiting the risk because those shows would be outdoors. Um, I'm talking about the risk in terms of COVID right now. And that's just, that's just one idea. And maybe it's crazy, but it's, it's one possibility. But I think that ultimately what we need to do is just figure out a way that the risk does not get shouldered almost entirely by the people who are making the music in the first place. No, I agree. Uh, I'm not sure about the movement thing uh, in terms of climate stuff. Uh, I think you're right about, I mean, that's what you're getting at, like burning all this jet fuel and, 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 and gasoline to get us around. Technology doesn't quite exist to, uh, to be able to do those things. Like a, a touring band can't ride an ele- drive an electric car. Certainly across Canada, you get nowhere. Cause the thing that, what I'm getting at is there's only, what is it, a 400 kilometer charge or something like that. Plus, I don't actually know the full implications of what taxing the electrical grid, if you will, does uh, environmentally either. So we're really, that's an interesting point of this, the movement part and the touring part. Um, Ariel, one of the things I mentioned to Matthias, we had a call the other day and I, I've said it to a few people and I don't know how realistic it is. And I can say it because I don't, from a very privileged place, I'm not affected as a musician, but like in my mind, I'm like, could we not, should we all just behave like the Yukon and be like a, a, a spring, summer, fall arts and culture economy so that all events can happen outside? Cause that seems to be where people get it, where they go and they go right now, as we're speaking in Canada, most of us aren't eligible for that fourth booster. Are we at fourth shot? The, the mm-hmm. next booster, the second booster. I don't know how to. So I'm like, okay, and as we're speaking, as I'm speaking to you, from what I can tell, the the vaccine efficacy that we've built, it's gone. Like, it's basically gone, and there's no masks. Like, we're basically just, like, freeballing it now, if I may use a crass term. And uh, so then you're like, what is, why? I hear a lot of disappointment on your record. I always hear a little bit of disappointment. In pe- I hear hope and disappointment in people on all of Matthias's songs. Yeah. Uh, Matthias, <laughs> is that fair? Absolutely. I think yeah, it's so a fun record. It's um, great. It's fantastic. It's I think really it's, fun. It, I also think it's a very like hopeful it. record. Yes, um, but it, there's it no question that there's a lot of despair in there as well. It's a mishmash. Yeah, where I was coming from, though, is like, I don't know if we have the moral fortitude to do what I'm proposing. But Ariel, what do you make of that idea? Like, what if we could get to a place where we are, we decide we hunker down culturally like in terms of cultural economy it's going to be a rough winter but you kind of hunker down and wait till you can go out and play outside and find the the boats and what i don't know but the yeah i i can't swim so i would not go see you on a boat or i guess you're not saying we would come on the boat no you would just you'd be on the land i'd be on the land so that's good yes that's good (laughs) but anyway i'll learn to swim at some point in my life sure why not I'm not buoyant. I don't You're know, Ariel. I, don't, I can't. I can't float. I just. It's some bone density. I don't know what it is. Fear. <laughs> it's tension. It's tension and fear and bone density. I just sink like a stone. Right. I, you I have to relax. I can't relax. Muscles. Yeah. I talked to Julie Dwarren about this the last time because mm-hmm. she's like a swim 
yeah. fiend and an instructor and all these things. I'm like, I think it's because I I've tense up. And I, I think my <laughs> body's like, is. yeah, you're not floating mode. Anyway, enough about me and my yeah. float floating and lack of uh, floating <laughs> ability. Era, what do you make of that? What have, what have we figured out a way to just be outdoor people? Yeah, well, this is something that that I've definitely been talking to a lot of people about. And I think that some of that will happen naturally. We usually tour in the falls and we've moved our release tour kind of into September, early October rather than later, which we might have done before because, I mean, we are playing in traditional inside venues, but still hoping to avoid a kind of COVID surge that might happen as we head into winter. As for outdoor stuff, yeah, well, I mean, we've decided that uh, for the release party for our album, we are just going to have a party with our friends and um, use the uh, the solar powered camper that Jake built to uh, to power that and just have it down down by the shore. And so we are interested in exploring more outdoor venues. And as you say about electric vehicles, obviously, you know, every action that we take with regard to climate these days has a bazillion other add-ons in terms of, you know, lithium mining yeah, or other yeah, where the yeah. electricity is coming from. So there is no, like, we're not in a position to, like, do everything perfectly. But I do think, you know, maybe, yeah, using that 400-kilometer radius as a as a kind of self-limiting factor could mm. be an interesting thing that we might see with touring. Um, I love the idea about all ages shows and maybe hauling the camper around and, and putting some of them on. You know, outdoor shows can be all ages. And I think that that's something that I've really been missing. Um, playing constantly in bars, you do limit your audience so much. To people who feel comfortable in those spaces, uh, whether that's COVID or or alcohol or age or wh- whatever kind of limiting factors there are there. So I do love the idea of, of doing things outside. I also think, you know, I, I hope that that these kind of grimy nightlife spaces don't don't get lost because I do think that they have provided uh, tons of spaces for like really interesting and transgressive art to take place like not everything has to be an outdoor family picnic also um well but i will and so, I, I will say cynically if yeah. i may s- yes straight edge vish yeah we have been beholden to this alcohol-based economy like i'm trying to mm-hmm. think like you guys were alluding to the fact earlier that people and we've all experienced these makeshift venues pop-up venues yeah you know, just alternate, what do they call them? Alter, alternative spaces, right? For for music. Yeah. When I think about what that means, it's usually like there's not a bar. There's not someone taking right. your money, uh, making all their money from the beer, and you're just kind of like a lost, like it's a, what is it called? A, not a lost, lost leader. Lost leader, right? That's no. the term? Yeah. yeah. The, the band is, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. But, but also like yeah. they, th- there's this, I'm not saying this is true. We've all played amazing venues. With amazing yeah. people running them, and I feel badly for all of them. At the same time, you know, I'm sure you've thought about this too philosophically. Maybe Ariel working at a radio station, like the entire product line that you manage if you run a radio station is based on cultural creativity, and mm-hmm. we don't put a premium on that. It's just sort of this weird. No one really thinks that that's the real fuel. Is the musicians? For all of these yeah. activities, it's just the bottom line, bottom line, bottom line stuff. And who cares if... And musicians are yeah. 
expendable, totally expendable. But it doesn't make any that. sense. Like it, logically, it's it doesn't make any sense that the musician would be viewed expendable because they're creating. When I'm I'm talking about everything, festivals, mm-hmm. radio stations, record store, you know, retail outlets, whatever. Why is the musician? They're the the musician or the writer or the whatever the art the artist is the one creating all of the content, and you're just packaging it in your own company way and and benefiting yeah. from it but really it's not respect like sorry i'm going on a bit of a rant my thing is just that i don't miss bar culture that much because i never really i just it was where the thing was happening maybe yeah. i get a ginger ale that's just me yeah. personally square unfun vish yeah saying like i just that doesn't <laughs> matter to me no, you know? and I get that, but I also think like, you know, nightclubs and and punk venues and squats and and these things that have been built up kind of around whether it's drugs or alcohol um have also been like really creative and Absolutely. interesting spaces. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um I do think it's interesting what you're saying about yeah, the musicians being expendable and I think maybe it's, you know, another thing is Musicians need to own the means of distribution yeah. at this point. Yeah. And I think there's a really interesting campaign that's happening in the UK right now to get, you know, concert goers to buy the buildings that a lot of grassroots music venues are in so that they aren't subjected to landlord increases yeah. so that that all of these spaces are collectively owned. And I think that that will bode well for the health of a music scene. And and I think that's a really radical and cool plan and idea. And I think, you know, I hope we'll see more and more, yeah, different models of, of owning that kind of like, whether it's clubs or outdoor models or uh, different streaming platforms would be great um, that really center artists i know that's pretty hopeful no no but, but it's well no i think it's <laughs> oh sorry it's well i was just gonna say it has happened like yeah the fact you're, yeah. you're not making this up like people have people did this in washington dc people have done this all over yes, the place um, exactly that's where that's where that I, I i will only quibble that i appreciate what you're saying like these are spaces the bars the nightclubs are where mm. the transgressive stuff has happened but i will go back to my argument that it's it's the artists who are creating that stuff it's yeah. not necessarily they oh, they, totally. they need a friendly like cbgb's they just need someone who'll take a chance yeah. on it i and it's a business like i get it like people want to like yeah we'll do it will people come out and then when people come out you feel like okay we we've quid pro quo this very well we've set this up so you have yes. a place and we're making our bar money but again totally. and i i don't mean to go back to this COVID hysteria stuff. I don't consider it hysteria. It's reality. I just feel like I'm, uh, hyster- I feel like I'm being painted as a hysteric by some people of being like, here's the, I don't go to restaurants. I don't do that stuff anymore. I order takeout. I try to support these places, but I don't go there because I'm like, it seems to me you take the mask off and that's where you get the thing. So where I was going to go with that, because I'm all over the place. Sorry. Matthias, there is a school of thought that I get sometimes or that I'm picking up on. Because Ariel is alluding to surges and what what's the winter maybe going to be like. You both have had it. And there is this... I, I had a conversation with Kevin Morby, musician, and and we were talking along these lines. And he, he said, oh, wait, you haven't had it, have you? I said, no, I haven't had it. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, well, that changes everything. When you have it, you kind of... It's not a, 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 you know, some sort of specter. You've had it. And if you're... He didn't say this, but my what I'm reading into it is... 
if you can get through it and there's no like you, you start to think, oh, maybe it's not that big a deal. So what I'm getting at, Matthias, is you've had it. Has your perspective on it changed about how to go forward? Because as we're speaking, you have booked a new tour, an extensive one, as far as I can tell. Has something altered since you've had it? Have you changed? Has it changed your mind about what it is and, and whether or not it's as dangerous as it seems to obviously be to most of us? <laughs> Sorry. Leading, leading well, question. But do you know what I'm getting at? Let, <laughs> let me take a, a strange route to answering that question. I think that the experience of having COVID personally has not necessarily changed my outlook, but that's because I don't base my opinion on my own personal experience when it comes to an infectious disease. I still base my opinion on science and the collective experience. And I think this ties in with what Ariel was saying, what you're saying too, about the future of music venues is that for so long, we've allowed the individualism that's at the heart of capitalism to dictate what we do as artists. We think about ourselves. Every songwriter thinks about themselves and how to get their songs into the right hands or whatever. Every DIY venue manager is thinking about their DIY venue. And we are just so obsessed with the individual that we've lost sight of the fact that we live in a society. And so whether we're talking about the future of music, COVID, whatnot, I think the only hope we have is to remember that we live in a society. And so, no, it hasn't changed my attitude towards what touring might look like going forward. I'm unsure, I'm nervous, but I'm also hopeful that we can collectively figure out a way to make it work. Well, so I think you and I share a similar outlook uh, in life in that we are both, uh, we try to maintain optimism, but we're cynical and pessimistic. And when things go wrong, we're like, yeah, that makes sense. As much as, oh, that's amazing. That also makes So I think it's a knot we're in. And some of my supposed anxiety is fueled by, I'm trying to reconcile my anger at what's going on right now. Because I'm with you, Matthias. Like, I am so distraught about this particular situation highlighting individualism over collective good. But I will tell you, I've had this thought recently. You're being naive, Vish. Like, this is what you've been angry about the whole time. Like, this has been the case. As we're speaking, there are mass shootings happening in the United States. People aren't doing anything about it. They could do things, and the people in power could do things to help the collective good, but they're selfish. They're they're clinging to power. They're clinging to uh, lobbyists, money, all that stuff. So what I'm getting at is this has crystallized. I, Ariel... As a person angry at our COVID response and our collective behavior now, because I will just say people seem to have given up and the thing hasn't gotten better. It's getting worse and worse. Am I wrong to be upset at this point or as upset? Is Should I be letting go of this? Please help me. I, this is now becoming a therapy session for me. But please, Ariel, what do you think of, like, in terms of the context we're talking about, music and gatherings? Cause I, I've gone to a couple of shows and I felt selfish doing it. I'll tell you that. That was it. I feel a little bit of guilt. That I've, I'm in a fortunate position that I can, the, and also that I made it out. I just went on a trip to Tulsa, Oklahoma for completely selfish reasons. Like I was invited to go to the Bob Dylan Center and it was a once, everyone was like, I was like, I don't think I should go. It seems selfish and stupid. 
And people are like, what? It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. You got invited to this VIP grand opening. Think of the people you'll meet and all that stuff. And I'm like, that seems selfish, but I did it. So I'm complicit in this. Anyway, Ariel, am I wrong to feel disappointed, but also guilty about living a normal life right now? <laughs> no, I mean, I feel that way constantly about climate or about, uh, you know, any myriad of my like little kind of semi-middle class indulgences. I think we live in a world that makes us hypocrites constantly yeah. and that makes us feel both angry and guilty and so i don't think you're wrong not at all i mean it that is maybe the dominant mode of life in 2022 like, is yeah. feeling those those exact feelings whether it's whether it's covid or climate i mean we are all yeah we're all you know making our own little indulgences at the expense of other people and of the planet constantly. And it's awful. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to yeah, like yeah. No. <laughs> soothe that but, feeling, but maybe Matthias does. I think. Well, I know I, I, I can turn that around. I think Okay, let's you went to it. Tulsa and you feel guilty about it. I felt, um, I don't, I'm not, I'm, it's felt not guilty lingering, about it. but I, I felt so badly because the, even the flight from Denver to Tulsa, the first attempt at it was, they told us they couldn't land the plane because the weather was so bad they could see it, but they made us do it anyway to see if they could sneak in. So the, so, but they couldn't. So they turned us back around very late at night back to Tulsa. And I, I was like, Oh my God. I already felt so terrible, but the jet fuel that was burning for me to get to Tulsa, they just made a completely useless trip. So I, I'm having this like, what I'm getting at, and I appreciate your response, Ariel. There's not really a, a, an obvious answer, but Matthias, where I'm coming from is I probably already had these kinds of feelings, um, guilt, rage, disappointment, frustration about myriad things. But why am I so <laughs> fixated on this pandemic as a crystallizing moment to heighten my hesitation of engaging with parts of society that I, and, and fun that I used to? Is it just the pandemic? Is it just COVID fear? Because I have a family and I, we've been lucky. We've been trying to stay safe, but I, I think it's a fool's errand to assume you're not going to get this thing at some point, particularly just the way we're all behaving and the lack of, like, like I say, they were pretty like clockwork, vaccinations, booster. It just seems masks, social distancing, everything seems to have stopped. So sorry, I that's think where you, I'm coming from. But I think you've, maybe feel extra feelings about COVID because I don't want to speak for you here, but in, in my opinion, it's like, it's something that we all feel we have a personal stake in, mm. in a way that we can kind of touch and see. There's like individual actions we can do that actually do make a difference. And we can, we can see that difference. You know, if I go out and don't wear a mask and I'm not vaccinated and all that stuff, my chances of getting COVID are very high. Whereas I can do these other things to mitigate that. Whereas with like climate stuff, for example, or like political issues, we sometimes get the sense that our actions, our individual actions don't matter yes. quite as much. Yeah. So maybe, you know, if you weren't on that plane to Tulsa, that flight would still be happening. So you could, you could think about it that way. But also I think that doing things that might make you feel a little bit guilty for the sake of producing something that could 
add beauty to the world. Mm. You're, you know, you went to the Bob Dylan Center and that became a podcast episode. Yes, it's true. Um, yeah. We spent what you might consider an indulgent amount of time making this album, but who knows, you know, what, what these songs might mean to to some people, you know? Same goes for putting on shows. Um, yeah, it's true. I, again, I think, like, thinking about the collective possibility of action is is really important. Actually, speaking of your podcast, I listened the other day to your interview with um, Atsuko... Atsuko Katsuka. Yeah. And I wasn't familiar with her. I don't know her comedy at all. But she said something really powerful about the film Paddington 2. Yeah. And it's a film I also... I think it might be... It's the Citizen Kane of our generation. (laughs) It's one of the the greatest films of all time, for sure. And she makes a very good point about it being a parable for immigration. But also, it's a... a, story about collective action, the power of collective action, mm. Paddington's adoptive family, Paddington's neighborhood um, in London. Even, I don't want to spoil it for people, but Paddington spends some time in the big house mm. in that film and Paddington's prison experience. It's all a story about the power of collective action. And I think that we need to harness the spirit of Paddington too in tapping into that collectivity and remember that what we make and what we send out into the world can have a galvanizing effect and can kind of bring us all together in very unexpected and powerful ways. I'm not saying that that's going to happen all the time, but there is that possibility. Yeah, like the carceral stuff in Paddington as it relates to the immigration stuff, the refugee stuff. I mean, yeah, Atsuko made some very valid points, but then as I recall from that prison sequence, Paddington is able to establish connection via cultural difference. By making people Absolutely. a meal that they weren't like expecting, so then it becomes this very yeah. Sorry that I really liked that chat with Atsuko, and it it did help, or rather it it uh, it was mind blowing about Paddington mm-hmm. in particular. Like oh, it was right under my nose, and I didn't even see all these things. So I appreciate you listening to that and pointing it out, and I appreciate what you're saying. I'm not. It is probably why I do what I'm doing right now here with you. Like, I, I do want to make a, I do think we can make positive change happen by having conversations and making stuff. Speaking of making stuff, the things that people make is a, a an older Burning Hell song, and it's become this Easter egg, I think, maybe, <laughs> certainly on this record. I can't pin it down. Uh, Ariel, is that song referenced a lot throughout the catalog? It comes up a couple times on this record, but can you think of other examples? Well, I mean, there's there's the original The Things That People Make, and then there's The Things That People Make Part 2, and The Things That People Make Part 3, and then, yes, in uh, uh, in on this album... Um, I think there's at least two allusions to all, it. Yeah. Is there two? I'm thinking of the one in All I Need, which, yeah. There's the end of I know the... the Last Normal Day has a reference to it in the chorus. Right. Okay. Oh, of course it does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. So, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, that has always struck me as a very hopeful idea of Matthias's. I like the things that people make. It seems to be an umbrella concept, maybe for the burning hell. Matthias, is that fair? 
I think that my opinion has changed uh, in some ways over the years. The original song, which is, I don't know, 15 years old now or so, was really, I, I guess, a celebration of the mundane actual things. I'm talking about like physical things that we make, whether that's casserole dishes or ukuleles or plumber snakes or whatever, just giving some cred to those objects and how wonderful and beautiful they are. And now in the context of this record, I'm thinking about this kind of accumulation of things, the sense that our world has become like a hoarder's house mm. on, on the t- television show Hoarders. And we need to have an intervention and say, hang on a second, we got to stop making all this crap and focus on, you know, like Marie Kondoing our planet. And, and, and so I guess my opinion about, I still love some things, but I'm much more interested in the things that people say and do than the things that people make these days. Well, as you're pondering a literal garbage island, I assume that's where the, oh, wait a minute, these are the things that people also make. Yeah. And we have so many things that we make. What the hell are we doing? So your mode has really shifted to resource preservation or rather resource recycling, I guess, uh, at this point, right? Like that's your, you guys, didn't you build this? Did you build this house that I'm looking at on your own? Basically, uh, it was a 200 year old house um, and we rebuilt it. It was almost falling you, in. <laughs> that's yeah. remarkable. And you have no, you just did it, right? You just DIY the hell out of it. You, what, you probably watched some YouTube videos or something. Both so you? many YouTube videos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that is the spirit within, like, you guys are punks. Like, that's incredible, if I may say. <laughs> like, that's an amazing thing that you were able to do and the drive you had to do it. That's, I just want to commend you. And I think on some level, I hear that kind of advocating for that kind of mentality on this record. Is that fair, Matthias? Absolutely. I think we all depend far too much on systems and knowledge that we just decide are beyond our control and beyond our reach and beyond our grasp. But um, in a lot of cases, we can learn how to do these things. And, you know, terms of renovating a house anyone can learn to do this stuff and maybe we will fail again and again before we get it right and that's definitely true in the case of this house we have <laughs> failed many times and then yeah. had to do things over and and that's part of the learning process no um, i mean you're i i will say for all the 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 dour uh down stuff that i invoked here i do appreciate your uh, commitment and passion for the human spirit I mean, that comes across in everything you both do. So I really appreciate that. Uh, there's a song on this record called Bird Queen of Garbage Island that I need to talk about a little bit, uh, uh, if that's okay. Uh, first of all, uh, where did this notion of a bird queen of Garbage Island come from, Matthias? I'll go to you first. Again, I'm going to pay tribute to the great film Waterworld. <laughs> and as you don't know, because you haven't seen this great film, Kevin Costner's character in this film has somehow in a one generation miracle of evolution, um, developed gills. Oh, which spoiler, enable him spoiler to Spoiler alert. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, that you find that out. It's not much of a spoiler because you find that out right away in the film. Um, well, I found it so out before he can, I even watched the film right now. So thanks. Swim. <laughs> <laughs> he could swim around and discover what's below the surface of the water, which I won't spoil. 
You just um, you did it again. You just did two. It's fine. You can figure out a way to talk about this movie so I don't have to watch it. That would actually make my life easier. Thank you. No, you have to watch it. Okay. Anyway, so Kevin Costner is this sort of future mutant. And I was thinking about Garbage Island. If if the Pacific Trash Vortex and all of the other trash vortexes that are currently actually circulating in the world's oceans, if they do coagulate into a real landmass, what kind of creatures will live there? Maybe some, the, you know, the remnants of human civilization, probably a lot of bird life. Um, and then eventually, probably some sort of mutation bird-human character. Mm. But what I like about the bird queen is that it's unclear whether she is an actual bird-human mutant or whether it's just a human dressed up as a bird. Or perhaps a bird dressed up as a human. I never thought about that until right now. Mm. Um, but this, there's this idea that in a utopian version of Garbage Island, there will be no leadership. It will be a, a self-governing um, society where everyone kind of figures out how to get along and get through life. With a queen. But then <laughs> With a queen. inevitably, yeah. inevitably some sort of tyrannical figure will try and take power and that's where the bird queen comes in i see okay but it's unclear about how that's how that's taking place i appreciate what you're saying about that song there are allusions on this record to bands like the b-52s on the song empty world there's an allusion to xtc with nigel the the gannet is am i saying that correct gannet Mm -hmm. gannet there's lots of birds Lots of birds. Uh, lots of birds. Because I think you, I think Matthias, you're recognizing that birds are going to be here even if we're not somehow. Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate that too. They've been around a long time. I bring up the XTC and B52s references in particular because this record does have, uh, for lack of a better term, a new wave bent. Ariel, the vocal approach that you take on Bird Queen of Garbage <laughs> Island is remarkable. First of all, it's a little mystifying. I don't know what you're saying. I had to look at the lyrics. Yet. I don't know what the hell. Talk about that. Um, I Sorry, every time I hear it, I picture all of you working on it and laughing at what you've come up yes. with. And forgive me if that's uh, disparaging in any way. Maybe you're very serious artists and you don't chuckle. <laughs> Tell me about that vocal part, your vocal contribution to that song uh, and, and, and whether or not you are, in fact, representing the bird queen of garbage island yeah i mean i always picture it as as maybe i'm i'm the bird subject you know like i, I feel like that vocal uh, line is is a, a smaller bird than the bird queen herself yeah so i do remember working on that in the studio because we did record this when we were able to be recording with jake and we we kind of constructed it all together. And I remember going in for multiple vocal takes and just kind of trying to sing it in my normal voice and then realizing that the song and the line called for something a little uh, stranger. <laughs> um, so it is it is the, the most high-pitched uh, cartoon voice that I could come up with. Um, and it was very funny to do. It is what the line is the coordinates of of Garbage Island, of right. the Patricia, uh, Pacific Trash Vortex. Oh, is it the legitimate um, coordinates? 
Yeah, it is. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's like a call yeah. and response between you and Matthias, which makes it even funnier to me. Yes. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Matthias, am I, are you upset that I found this humorous? No, not at all. We found it very funny yeah. in the studio. We laugh a lot in the studio, and I think that comes through on a lot of these songs. Even the guitar um, parts on that, I could see them being fun to make, particularly as it gets going, because it has... Sorry, I, I didn't really flesh this out, but do you... Uh, Matthias, was New Wave, conceptually, was New Wave as a genre signifier uh, an inspiration on this record? Definitely, and I think it always kind of has been, but it's just never come out as much as it does on this record. I mean, the B-52s are, are one of both Ariel and I's favorite bands, um, well, the vocal part that uh, I was just alluding to reminds me of them. I, I assume that's a clear homage. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, t- like, Tom Tom Club yeah. was another big touch point. Um, lots of different... Ba- I mean, as as we might have talked about, my first love in music was Men Without Hats. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, yeah. And I always kind of go back to those sorts of sounds as my ideal musical... Goal. And but, the, I don't know. but it's very eclectic. Like all I need, I, I'm not sure if they're you would count them as an influence. But all I need reminds me of the Sadies, like very specifically. I know uh, for some folks that might be well, the Sadies sound like so and so and so and so. So what does that even mean? But I think they had a very distinctive sound. I, I'm sure you came across them at various festivals in your time. And but yeah, like all I'm getting at, and if you want, you can talk about whether or not they they stick out for you. But I just want to highlight for people who haven't heard it yet. It's a very eclectic record, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I mean there, there's little musical touchstones throughout it that are pretty all over the map, I guess. But that's just reflective of how much of a collaborative record it is, too. I mean, I've got my personal musical heroes that I love and Ariel has hers and Jake has his. And then all, of course, all of our contributors, the people that came in and played little parts or sang backup vocals, they've all brought their own musical sensibilities to it. Yeah. So I think people can hear all sorts of stuff in there. Yeah. There's a saxophone solo that Ariel does in the song Empty World, where I think we were kind of trying to... Ariel, you had a particular sound you were going for in that, right? Yeah, I was going for an X-ray specs saxophone solo. There you go. Right. Oh. Right. Okay. So like post-punk kind of stuff. By the way, when I say the Sadies, I also would uh, like to suggest that phrasing, it, phrasing in terms of phrasing, it also reminds me of Rick White uh, and oh, his yeah. work with the Sadies. So there's like a couple, that's just me where I'm coming from. People, again, ruining the record as always. People can bring their own stuff to the thing and figure out where it's coming from. I just appreciate its uh, point of view, its humor, the sounds are all over the place. You've done a wonderful job. It, it doesn't sound, you know, when people hear self-produced and the first <laughs> self-produced, they might be uh, be like, well, I'm going to push play on this with lows, you know, with some low standards. It sounds amazing. Like you all did a wonderful job. So I just thank wanted you. to say all those things for what it's worth. It's worth a lot. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so you're, much. You're, you're welcome. Now, uh, it's time to get down to business and promotion. We need to tell people mm. where they can learn more about the burning hell. And Garbage Island, uh, and I'm I'm happy to say, uh, you, I think you've got a, a relatively new label home as well. Um, who wants to be the corporate chill? Who wants to talk about uh, where to send people to learn more about the Burning Hell and uh, this I can record? Do this. I'll do this. So uh, this record is coming out June 24th on You've Changed Records in North America and BB Island in Europe. 
and rest of world. Uh, <laughs> you can learn more about The Burning Hell by going to www.theburninghell.com. The album is also available on all streaming services, and we recommend you check it out on Bandcamp at theburninghell.bandcamp.com. That was, How was that? That was the greatest corporate shilling I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Very practiced. Thank that was really you. wonderful. And you've got two, you. you've got tour dates coming up as well, right? That's right. We do. Uh, let me think about that one. Well, you don't have, um, sorry. I don't, I'm not uh, looking for the full itinerary. I just meant, uh, if you can oh. think of when it starts, that would be good. But, uh, sure. We're heading out <laughs> west in July. I think our first, technically our first, um, on tour release show will be at the Vancouver Island Music Festival. And then we're sort of touring various parts of Canada on and off for the rest of the summer and early fall. And then in September, we head over to Germany, Austria, and the Czech Republic, and the UK. Okay. And, and tour dates on your uh, website. Did you mention your socials, Ariel? Oh, no. Um, you can find The Burning Hell on Twitter at The Burning Hell Band. Uh, yes. And on Instagram <laughs> at The don't tweet. Burning Hell uh, it's I either it, the Burning Hell or I, the Burning Hell Band. No, I just think it's, look it up. It's just, on it's the just at the Burning Hell, I believe, on Instagram. I don't know. Uh, oh, okay. If right. I may, uh, but people can look all these things up. Obviously, I just like to get them going. Uh, I know, <laughs> I know, people know how to find things. I just like to give them a, a head start. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's yeah. a great idea. I appreciate yeah. it. Absolutely. So, uh, before we go, I'd like to uh, ask you if we can go out on a song, uh, and I'd like uh, one of you to pick the song and the other one then gets veto power. Uh, if okay. they don't like the choice, uh, you have a small debate, short debate, and then we pick a new song. It's never happened really. Actually, there have been some, they weren't debates, just like two people have agreed and then they change, one of them changes their mind midstream and we go out on that. So it is possible there could be a soft veto. So I want to, because Ariel just did all the heavy lifting with the corporate shilling, I, I'm going to defer to Matthias to pick the song. But again, Ariel, you have full veto rights. So Matthias, can you pick a song for us to go out on? Uh, I know we talked about Dirty Microphones and we talked about Bird Queen of Garbage Island, but I was thinking we could go out on No Peace, the first song on the record. But Ariel, feel free to veto that. No, I like that song. Yeah. It's a I very, like them all. Uh, <laughs> very, very catchy song. I have to say, Matthias, the first line or verse jars me. It jars you? Uh, let me see if I can paraphrase it. Uh, the sunlight hit my face like, like a, a belt, belt strap slap, slap from, from the parents, the parents the from the olden days. Is that the line? Did I get yeah. it right? Yeah. I just, I'm sorry. I'm just off the top of my head. Yeah. You know, I, my children love that song and uh, they love it. But I, I often, I, they haven't asked about it, but I wonder if they wonder what that means. Uh, that's all. That's all. It's a great song. I've tainted it by going what? dark. You go in dark. I mean, it's a dark song. No, it is. A, it is a dark song. Uh, it is a wonderful way to kick it off. And there's a nice uh, reference to Leo Tolstoy. Absolutely. Okay. Forget the first. Get over the first line, everyone. I should just get over the first out. line. Don't think about it that way. And you know what? Maybe. I'm glad that corporal punishment isn't a subject that's come up in your parenting <laughs> experience so far. But historically, it's come up for a lot of people. Yes. No, absolutely. So, no, no. Yeah. I think it's uh, 
It's a brilliant song, and the core, it's great. You've really well arranged. I get no peace in my head all the time. And so let's end. And I feel like you're trying to veto this one. No, 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 I'm not. Let's go to it. This is great. This is great. It's great. I love it. It's It's got lots of interesting childlike imagery because there's like uh, references to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and, of course, Ringo Starr, who people might know as uh, uh, the star of the Thomas the, the Train Engine, uh, which is a children's <laughs> show. So let's go out on it right now. And it's a little riff on uh, Ringo's favorite phrase, uh, peace yeah. and love. love and peace. I hope everyone enjoys this jarring childish song <laughs> yeah i think i really set it up well sorry everyone here's no peace by the burning hell it's brilliant uh ariel matthias it couldn't possibly not end awkwardly so thank you for being on the show uh my awkward show and uh, i wish you the best of luck in, in all things in the future thanks, thanks for so having much, us Beach. thanks for having us Like a belt strap slapped from the parents in the olden days And I wake up into the morning wishing I was an orphan Why do I get the feeling something awful is about to happen? Why do I get the feeling we need heroes, jumping hurdles, ninja turtles, mighty morphin power rangers To save the day Check this out, Ringo was right It's all peace and love now, love and peace And she says, you're dreaming You're just dreaming Go back to sleep There's no peace No peace No peace
time nor the place for peace So put away your puppy dogs and your rainbows You can't put a dent in the 1% with hugs You can't smash the fascists with sappiness No, nor the Nazis, whether old school or neo So I'll leave you with a line I stole from Leo There can be no peace for us Only misery And the greatest happiness But no peace No peace Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Oh, once again, very, very special thanks to my old friends uh, Ariel Sherritt and Matthias Kahn from The Burning Hell for being back on this show. This time to appear on the 696th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for on your favorite uh, platform there, or if you want to learn more about me, sign up for my monthly newsletter, which I'm behind on, sorry. Please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on Instagram and on Twitter at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation uh, to keep this podcast going. It's the primary source of revenue, the lovely generosity of people like you who listen to the show and support it on on Patreon. $6 or more a month uh, grants you access to exclusive content that I post on the Patreon. Some of it is derived from the uh, new episodes. Some of it is from older episodes, or rather, sorry, older uh, archives of mine. What is there a new, is there such a thing as a newer archive? I think archives are inherently older. I could probably stop talking about this. It's not interesting. 
Anyway, my point is I have archives of uh, audio interviews I did that uh, precede this show. Sometimes I post those. In this particular case, there is uh, fresh bonus content with Ariel and Matthias talking about their current obsessions. So if it's not already, as, uh, as you hear this, if it's not already on the Patreon feed, uh, it will be soon. Uh, it's probably there by now, actually. But anyway, so that's an example. And it's just us doing a little bit of overtime after our interview. So $6 or more a month on the Patreon grants you access to that kind of stuff. Uh, but you can you can donate more than 6 You can donate less than 6 And whatever you your amount, you can change it every month or whenever you want. Sometimes you, you can pay for the whole year and then it, you don't have to think about it. So appreciate the support. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt uh, in exchange for that generosity, please message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. Again, patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks to my friend Jim Guthrie for lending me music to use on this show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with The Burning Hell. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you're a fan of theirs, I hope you uh, learned some things. Uh, if, you're, if you don't know who they are, I also hope you learned some things. Thanks also for subscribing to this podcast or following it and telling your friends all about it and asking them to consider doing the same so you can have a, a discussion about it later or something. Anyway, I must go. I have to go pick up my daughter from uh, her last brownies meeting. I'll talk to you later. Bye for now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.